Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yalia. This is part number two of What Does a Visitor Remember? A sermon that I taught at Andrew Womack's Bible Conference. The Queen of Sheba came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and left a believer. For the average church member, church begins with worship in the auditorium, but for the visitor, church begins in the parking lot. The cleanliness, the quality of snacks and coffee, the friendliness of the people are all first impressions that could lead someone to eternal life, a rededication of their life to the Lord, or even healing. Let's go and find out what she found out. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. We often have everything planned for the service, but as far as a sinner's concerned or a person visiting your church, the service started when they entered the parking lot and when they came into the church. The next, next thing she noticed was their food that was offered, his food, he offered the best to make a good impression. You know, I've, I've been to churches before so often and oftentimes I'll drink their coffee and you know, they have a cookie or something back there for me in the, in the green room and that's wonderful. But oftentimes, you know, you think the cookie, how long has it been here? <laughs> Let me just say a couple of things. Good, good coffee per cup doesn't cost a whole lot more than bad coffee per cup. I'm gonna ask you another question. Who makes the coffee? Does the people that make coffee drink coffee? You wonder sometimes when you taste that coffee, do these people just stick a bag in there or something, you know, because they, they, they don't know what they're doing? Next of all, cookies. Did you know soft cookies don't cost a lot more per cookie than a hard cookie that you've had for weeks that nobody wants anymore? All I'm saying is if that person walking through the door, you really value them, why don't you treat them like more than just a person that you're gonna give something to? Give them something that they'll remember. Let them drink that cup of coffee and say, this is good stuff. Let them eat that cookie and say, this is good stuff. In other words, they thought enough about me when I came in not to offer me junk, not to offer me something that isn't worth anything. So again, the next thing she noticed was the food and probably, of course, what, what Solomon had to offer was top of the line everything. Number three, she noticed the order of the servants. She walked through the door. That's the house. She tasted the food. She probably had some coffee or something. The next thing is she saw the order of his servants. Each one knew their place and they gave help. Each person in this, in this, in your church, the order of the servants, the servants here are those that stand at your door and greet, the ones that are there as you walk in, the ones that work in the information, the ones who are there to help people, they knew what they were doing. She saw this and she saw the order of the servants. Each one knew their place, they gave help. Each person knew their area of help and could offer help in any area. In other words, they had a designated place, but they could also help in any area. When someone walks through the church and says, into the church and says, I'd like to know where my children's, children's church is. It's nice to know where the children's church is. To point them in the right direction or say, listen, and call somebody over. But to make sure, in what I like about when you first come to church is the person that helps you at the front door not only knows how to help you, but if you have something they don't know about, they don't have to call somebody else over. They'll escort you somewhere. 
Listen, the, the children's church is right down the hall. Let me take you there. You have a chance to talk with them along the way, get to know them just a little bit. These small things are so important. Jesus brought it up and said there was a man that went to Nineveh yelling one thing, repent, and they did. But there was also a woman that came to see Solomon and she was so overwhelmed by his wisdom that this church was concerned enough about one woman to bring her to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that one person coming through the door, angels will rejoice when they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. She saw the order of his servants. So not only can they show a person where to go, but they can lead them there. The fourth thing she saw was the service or the working of the servants. Each person's desire was to work and to be eager to work for God and his people. An usher or a greeter can make a person's day with an encouraging word. And if they don't have an answer, they can find it or they'll take them to the place where they can find it. Number five was the servant's dress code. She noticed how they dressed. This identifies the role of the volunteer. I'm, I'm not saying they need to have different clothes on, but you know, when my son took over the church, I thought he did something very good, very interesting. And that was he had shirts prepared and on it. It just said one generation on the back in the front. It told what they did. So they had those standing with, with greeters learning how to greet, young people learning how to greet, and those that were learning how to usher, standing with the ushers. They had them working in the praise and worship department, and they had on the same shirt that said one generation on the back, but on the front it said praise and worship. And they stood beside other people so they could learn and they could help. But those people also stood in the lobby and had on them written what they were. Often, one of them they had just had a big question mark on it said, questions? Have any questions you could find out about the church, find out how the church ran, and also any questions you needed to know, they were there to answer the questions. So that came back to a dress code. I don't know, it could be badges, it could be printed t-shirts, but one thing about it is it's great to have signs around there where you can tell what's what and where, where to go. And again, information booth or signs, and all these different things can help when a person walks into the church to identify who they are and how they can help. We had a girl in our church that um, came to Loretta and I one day and said, uh, she was one of the greatest praise and worship leaders we had. And she came and she said to us, she said, I'm leaving the church. We said, why? She said, there's no good men left here. They're all taken. <laughs> we said, really? She said, yeah. She said, I've been here and I've been looking over all the, kid, all the men. They're just they're all taken. She said, I'm going to go to another church. And I said, where are you going to go? And so she mentioned Billy Joe Darty's church. I'm going to go there. And, so I, and she said, well, what do you recommend I do? I said, don't. I said, nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to go running after men or men running after women. Stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Why don't we agree in prayer that God's going to bring a man to you? And she said, well, okay. And she said, what do I do in the meantime? I said, just get more involved. Forget about it. When uh, Isaac met Rebecca, he didn't go chasing after her. He sent out a servant to go find her and he brought her back. And the moment they saw each other, they knew they were right for each other. And so, you know, she t I told her that story. She said, well, I don't have a servant. And I said, yes, you do. He's called the Holy Spirit. Send him out to find somebody for you. You just get more involved working here in the church. So she did, and there was a young man in Northwest Arkansas that was framing homes at the time. And so anyway, he was working there and he was single, but of course he said one day felt the Lord impressing him. He was supposed to move to Tulsa. So he did. 
He said he fought it all the way because he was having such great business. There was a big building boom going on in Northwest Arkansas, but he ended up coming to Tulsa. And when he got there, he's a framer of homes. He just picked up right where he left off. Tulsa was in a building boom too. And so his business was doing well, but he still didn't know why he was in Tulsa. Why did you lead me here? And he drove down the street one day going to frame a home and drove right by our church. And the Holy Spirit said, go to that church next Sunday. So he did. He walked through the door and an usher met him. Thank God for spirit-filled, spirit-led ushers. Because she wasn't singing that week. We had enough praise and worship leaders to rotate through and she wasn't singing that week. So she was standing in praise and worship on the aisle in the seat right on the aisle with her hands lifted up praising God and right across the aisle was an empty seat on this side of the aisle. So the usher brought him down and set him right there. And so he stood up praising God, offering praise and worship. And the two were worshiping God and saw each other. And <laughs> I mean, sparks flew. They, you know, I, I, you know, I talked to her later. She says, I was just praying, God have Pastor Bob have us join hands. So I said, why don't we all join hands in prayer? And they joined hands. By the time that they threw joining hands, we sat back down. They had each other's phone number, all this different stuff. They called each other, dated for about a year. They got married and ended up being uh, missionaries in uh, Philippines with each other. God called, had a call on their life, but God brought them together. And so the point of it is, is, you know, when you come to church, there's people that will help put you together. There's people that there should be led by the Holy Spirit. But the point of it is, is that when they came, they, again, because of the, what, in that case, it was uh, putting their case in the, in the Lord's hands, but also his case too, the ushers of leading them to the right place. How important it is to have spirit-filled people in these positions sensitive to the Holy Spirit because that caused a marriage to come to pass and the ministry to start. And then, then the cupbearers. The cupbearers, I think, are very interesting. This is the sixth one. In the cupbearers, those are responsible for being closest to the pastor. A cupbearer was one that drank the juice or ate the food for tasting it first to make sure that there was nothing poisonous in it, putting his life on the line for the king. In this particular case where we have the cupbearers, we have the responsibilities of those that were closest to the pastor. All leadership, including pastor, should have access by the people. What this is saying is, I think it's wrong for a pastor to be surrounded by bodyguards that keep him from seeing the people of the church. You're part of the church. You should see them. In other words, it comes back to this. Are we really protecting the pastor from the people or are we standing back seeing whenever we're needed to step in? That's what the cupbearers were. And the cupbearers, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, in my church, I know we probably got them here. I don't see them, but you probably got guards around here that protect you. Is that true? Okay. Are they armed? That's what I thought. Okay. I had them armed too. So they're packing. In case any of you are wondering about that, they're packing. And so in our own church, we had men that were packing around there, had guns next to them. They protected me, but they didn't stand close to me because we'd had a number of pastors in Tulsa that were attacked. One day, Billy Joe was attacked in a prayer line, made national news. 
and his ushers were there to protect him. I think of the church here in Colorado Springs that the man came and that woman that shot him, I mean, thank God there was a woman there to protect. Thank God someone had, uh, you know, foresight enough to put a cupbearer in there to stand close to the pastor and protect him. So in that case, she did. But we have the cupbearers. And of course, even the disciples tried to keep people from Jesus. And they said, and Jesus had to stop them and correct them and said, let the children come to me and let the blind man over to see me twice. They tried to keep people away from Jesus. And yet Jesus was one to say, let them come on. But we need people to protect. And in this case, we have them right here in this verse of scripture. We have the cupbearers. The next thing she mentioned was the steps into the place of worship. The order of the service, praise and worship, prayer, announcements, offerings, sermons, all these things are important. But the point of it is the place of worship had steps into it. I think sometimes we can get so caught up in the Holy Spirit, we forget the fact that the Bible says, you know, that in the church, we ought to have a certain system of order in the church. Let everything be done decently and in order. And I believe order can still have the Holy Spirit attached to it. I think we have it here. We have praise and worship. We have all the different things that happen, but you can just feel even when one thing blends into something else, the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. In fact, that verse of scripture that talks about, again, that everything should be done decently and in order is in a chapter about the operation of the Holy Spirit in a church service. The Holy Spirit's not against order. The Holy Spirit's not against these things, not against, again, even staying within proper time. I remember, you know, sometime back when uh, Dwayne was teaching and he brought this up, so I'm just going to quote it because he taught it and I can't say it any better, is that there's nothing wrong with having time limits in a church service. Thank you for the rousing amen. <laughs> and yet, you know, here's something interesting. Somebody was talking to me the other day about church services and they, only, they limit theirs to one hour. I don't think it's right to set an exact limit. I think you should have a little time to go over, but you shouldn't automatically just throw your clock away and just keep on going because there's people that have th other things to do. But what this pastor was saying was, I keep it to one hour. He, and, and when questioned why he kept it to one hour, the answer was when, when they was asked about this, he said, well, because people don't like long church services. Here's what the man said, I never thought about. He says, well, I've been studying that. And he said, did you know this? He said, the top 10 reasons of why people don't like church never include the fact that it's, it's too long. Never. He said, now, if it goes two hours, they might say that. But I think every church service should have a certain limit. But you know what? If it goes over, let the Holy Spirit begin to move. But the Holy Spirit is the one who said, let everything be done decently and in order. So having a time that there's nothing wrong with that. Did you know Jesus was born on time? Did you know Jesus entered his ministry on time? Did you know Jesus was baptized into his ministry on time? Jesus was, was uh, crucified on time, but resurrected on time. The Holy Spirit was given on time. And yet with all of that, Jesus still had time to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils. I think a church can operate on a time period, but also still have plenty of time for the Holy Spirit to do miracles, signs, and wonders. There's nothing wrong with having, again, a system where the people know they can probably get out at a certain time, but we still have the anointing and presence of the Holy Spirit. Never have a clock that gets rid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can work with time. He always does. I think Jesus is going to come back on time. What do you think? 
so we can have the same thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't tell you throw everything away because the Holy Spirit himself operates on time. So she saw the steps again of the place of worship. But I want to bring up, that's seven of them. Here's the last one I want to mention. And this is what the queen remembered most. Oh, she remembered all these things. The first thing she remembered was, and she brought it up. The first thing she saw was his house. That was the prosperity of his house, the beauty of the house, the cleanliness of the house. The second thing she saw was his food. And of course, what he offered was the finest. What he offered was the best. She saw the order of his servants. Everyone knew what they were supposed to be doing. Everyone knew what their responsibility was, yet they could show other people in there what to, where to go, or again, like in your church, where to find these different ministries. She saw the service or the working of his servants. Every person that was there liked what they were doing, delighted in what they were doing. The fifth thing she saw was their dress code. The sixth thing she saw was the cupbearers, the responsibilities for those that were closest to protecting the pastor. The seventh thing she saw was the individual steps or the order leading up into the time of worship. But the thing that she said the most was, she mentioned everything up until now once, but this she mentioned twice. Happy are your servants. And she said it twice. She had never seen happy servants. You say, well, what are servants? Slaves. Now the Bible deals with slavery and the nation of Israel, God offered and told them what they were to do when they brought in slaves from war, how to treat them, how to be kind to them. After a certain time, they were to be released. If they liked being a servant, they could have a hole drilled in their earlobe and it, they could become a permanent servant. But all this was because they cared for servants. But she said, I've never seen happy servants. I was in South Africa a number of years ago at a church in Johannesburg, and the guy was a, a Rama student. He graduated from Tulsa at Rama, and he was over there and he had a church, and this was before apartheid fell. But during that time, they had, they had people in the church, and they had people also in his home. And the, the woman that was in his home, she was there. They paid her and all this, but she had escaped from Angola because there was a revolt and war going on in Angola. She came into South Africa, but she missed her family. She missed her friends that she left behind. This woman was just flat out depressed. And so she came down the hall every morning for me and she came down there and she would stop at the door and she'd say, do you want any coffee? <laughs> and I mean, I thought, you know, is there any joy in this one? She said, is there any, you want any coffee? I said, yes. She said, okay. And I thought, I hope it's a really hot cup of coffee. Because <laughs> there won't be much heat left in this one. She went all the way down there and came back. And I asked him later, I said, who is she? He said, well, she's one of the ones we brought in. He said, but we want you to know something. Everybody we brought in here, and he said, we paid, we, you know, he said, we, they bring them in from Soweto, drive them in here. He said, and she comes, we said, every one of them come in here looking like that. Within a few weeks, they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. They start attending the church. Happiness comes on their life, begins to drastically change. But I want you to notice what, he said, what she said about this one. All your servants are happy. I've never seen this. I can legislate coffee. I can legislate cookies. I can legislate how we dress. I can legislate how clean everything is, but I can't legislate happiness. Happiness has to be something that comes from the inside of you. And what was he saying here in this verse? What was she saying in this verse of scripture? In fact, let's take a look at it. Notice what she said. 
She said, happy are your men. Happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. What is it that brings happiness into leadership or those who operate in a church in whatever position it is, whether it's paid or whether it's volunteer, what is it that brings happiness? They stand continually and hear the word that is taught. I ask you a question. Where are your praise and worship leaders after praise and worship is gone? Where are they? I looked around one Sunday and thought, where did they go? I think we were just up here a few minutes ago and I thought they were going down there to worship God, but they're not there. I told my associate pastor, next Sunday, go find them. Oh, he found them in a classroom down the hall eating cookies, good ones. <laughs> drinking coffee and laughing and talking. He said, what are you doing here? And they said, well, we did our job. It's not a job. We did our job and now we got a watch. We can see it in the clock on the wall. We'll be back in there in time to lead worship again when the sermon's over. And you know what the first thing that came over them? Bitterness, anger. They got mad at him for even coming down there and coming into their space and doing that. When this verse says the reason why they were happy was they stayed continually and heard the word of God. I said, I want you to go next week and find some other doors and find out who's back there. He went into one door and the church board was in there eating cookies, drinking coffee during church, thinking if we have a certain position, we're kind of above doing all these other mundane things. And I, bet, and then, and I called for a board meeting real quick and said, guys, I didn't bring you in here so you could go down to that room and drink coffee and, and have cookies. I brought you in here because you were faithful to church. How come you get this position now you're not faithful to church? Billy Joe Darty told me a story at his church. He said his praise and worship leaders, oh, they were there and they were having praise. Of course, they had praise and worship. He said, but he noticed one Sunday they weren't there. He looked out there and he couldn't find them anywhere. So he sent someone out to find it. They were out behind the building. He said they were out there and they were drinking coffee. Yes, they were having cookies. Yes, but they're smoking cigarettes in the back of the church. He said he fired all of them. But his wife up there said, lead praise and worship and get me a whole team together that loves the church, loves the word, and will sit here and I don't have to go looking for them. They delight in the word of God. Happy, happy, happy. I'll finish with this one story. Rick Renner uh, went to, over to uh, Latvia and from there he went and ended up in, in uh, Moscow and there he has a church. But he asked Loretta and I to come over and be with him for a while so we went there and they took us to the only McDonald's in Moscow and it was huge. But we went in there and he said, look at their faces. And I did, and he said, see that smile on their face? He said, does it look genuine? I said, yeah, he said, you should have been here months ago. He said, when communism fell and these, we, they opened up a McDonald's here, there's nothing to pay them with. We didn't, the rubles weren't worth anything. So they paid them in vodka. That's how they got, that's how they got there. And he said, people came to work here. He said, but you know what, we had, what they had to do here? McDonald's had to train them how to smile. They had never smiled. They were raised under communism. There was nothing to be happy about. There was such miserable depression everywhere and they didn't know how to smile. He said, and when we finally taught them the first smiles they had looked fake. He said, we had to teach them how to genuinely smile. We had to teach them how to teach, uh, think on good things, think on things, you know, that they'd never thought on before. 
Well, how sad it is to come to church and see a fake smile. Someone says, hi, welcome to church. You want fries with that order? But to see somebody that says, welcome to church, you're here by the call of God. Thank you for coming today. We're so delighted to have you. And I can tell you this, Jesus is going to change your life if you'll just listen to what's being taught. If that person listens, and here's what happened, they, this woman, that is the queen of Sheba, she gave her life to the Lord. It's not recorded here, but Jesus tells us a few thousand years later that on that day when she came, he says, now when she stands in judgment day, she'll be standing on this side with me along with the hundreds of thousands that gave their life to Jesus in Nineveh. And he said, you religious people are going to be on that side over there. And you're going to be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Comes back to this. Oh, it's wonderful to go out into the world and spread the gospel. But what about when people come into your church? What do they see? What helped, what helped this woman? By the time she got to the place of accepting Jesus in the service, she'd gone through things that just overwhelmed her. The cleanliness, the friendliness the over-the-top stuff they had done to take care of people. Folks, every person walking in is a potential child of God. How are you going to treat them? How are you going to look at them? Are they just somebody else walking through the church and we just brag on how big the attendance was that week and never gave anybody an opportunity to receive Jesus and never thought about anybody walking in there, what they must think, what they must see? Maybe it's time you go back and begin to look at your church like a visitor. Walk into the parking lot, walk in through the front door and begin to look around. Are there cobwebs in the corner that you haven't seen for a long, long time? Dirt in the carpet? Those type of things. Things that you don't think about because you walk by them every single week headed toward the church service, as do your regular attenders. But what about a visitor that walks in? Think about it. They could be a possible Queen of Sheba coming into your place to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and have eternal life. One life is worth it. One person is worth it. Thanks for joining me today as we've learned together how the Queen of Sheba saw things that changed her life and brought her to eternal life. Maybe this will help open up your eyes with your own local church of what people see when they come to church long before they hear the sermon, long before they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, impressions are made and how important it is we understand that. I wanna thank also all of my partners that stand with me and have stood with me for so many years. The number of partners is increasing rapidly. The amount of increase that's coming in from them, financial increase is also wonderful and just freeing us up in so many different areas to do what God has called us to do. Thank you. If you'd like to become a partner too, you can go to my website, bobyandian.com, and you'll find there a place where you can become a partner with me and find out just what a blessing it is to join your heart and join your finances and join your prayer together with a minister. You share not only in the sharing of the gospel, you'll share with me also in the receiving of rewards when we get to heaven. I wanna thank you again for being with us today. And again, if you're looking for a Bible college to go to, I taught this particular lesson at the minister's conference held at the Karis campus. And if you're looking for a great Bible school, I highly recommend Karis getting involved there, spending the two to three years involved in going there. And also while you're there, finding a local church, getting involved there too, because those two put together the theory and then the church is your lab class where you learn from older people around you is tremendous what a blessing it is. So again, I highly recommend the school, highly recommend it for you to get involved in. The ministry of God is so important and the book on God's Word to Pastors. See you next time.
This newly revised and expanded handbook is packed with biblical wisdom and practical guidance from the pastoral trenches. It will help to equip and encourage you in your ministry. Bobby Indian, a veteran pastor of more than 30 years, provides answers to common questions relating to your everyday pastoral duties and personal life. Bob covers topics such as the First Pastors Conference in Acts 20, Passion versus Calling, Daily Schedules, Living a Balanced Life, Wolves After Your Sheep, The Glorious Church, Pastors Need Pastors, Whose Flock Do You Pastor, Spiritual Workaholics, Family Before Ministry, The Pastor's Heart, and The Bond of Peace. Bob will help you apply timeless biblical wisdom to the issues and dynamics of today's pastoral ministry. To order, visit our website at bobyandian.com. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.